0: <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, sorry. This morning we are going to focus on yet another one another passage as we've been doing a series on the various occurrences of instruction concerning one another in the New Testament. This morning's verse has a couplet that has two one another's in it, and we're going to look at them together. Our text is James chapter five, verse 16. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So this morning I want to unpack these two uh, exhortations to confess to one another and to pray for one another. First we are exhorted to confess our sins to one another. This is a extrapolation of from what has gone on before previously in the text. You notice the word, therefore. Therefore. Previously, in the text, if a person is sick, they are to call for the elders to pray over him. Verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. It is based on the reality that sins can and are forgiven, that we are to confess to one another. Notice at the end of verse 15 it says, And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, because sins can be forgiven. But now it is no longer the elders who are in view, but rather the people of God as a whole are in view. It has moved from the elders and calling them to pray to now praying for one another. So as I said, it's based on the previous verses, but yet it moves us in a slightly different direction. I would also point out to you that our verse says that we are to confess our sins to one another. It's not a priest that is in view here. It is not that we are to confess our sins to a priest, but rather the entire body of Christ is in view. And notice that it is reciprocal. Notice we are to confess our sins to one another. Uh, a priest doesn't confess his sins to the people. The people confess their sins to the priest. But in our particular portion of the Word of God, it teaches us that we are to confess our sins to each other. No one being over the other, no one being superior to the other, but rather a mutual confession of sins. But what's going on here? Why is this passage talking about the need to confess our sins to one another? We know that ultimately sin is to be confessed to God. And we can go directly to God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ to pray and ask for our sins to be forgiven. 1 John 1.9, a very familiar verse, says if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we are able to go directly. We don't need a mediator. We have a mediator. That is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So each of us can go directly to God and ask for our sins to be forgiven. So what then is the role of confessing our sins to one another? The broader context is that if a person has need, they are to be sharing that need with others. And there is a much greater likelihood that we're going to share physical needs before we're going to share spiritual needs. Let me just say that again. There's a much more likelihood that we are going to share with each other our physical needs much more easily, readily than we will our spiritual needs. And yet we are to be willing to confess our sins to one another. So we might ask the question, what is confession? There have been many theological explanations as to the elements of confession. I would put you most simply. It is to acknowledge and take responsibility for our own sinful actions. It is to acknowledge and take responsibility for our own sinful actions. So before others, we are to acknowledge and take responsibility for our own sinful actions. Thomas Akempis gave us a tremendous picture. I loved this when, when I read this because I, I, I love word images And this, to me, said it all. Now, it's a little vulgar, but Thomas Akempis said that confession is the vomit of the soul. Let me say that again. Confession is the vomit of the soul. I like that. Okay, Not that I particularly like vomit, nor do I particularly like thinking about uh, throwing up. But nonetheless, it is graphic and it is helpful. It's helpful, I think. For confession is a purging of the soul. It is the bringing up, if you will, of all the evil, misery, and heartache that sickens the soul. It's messy, stinky, and unpleasant. At the same time, it settles the soul and brings relief and healing. Confession is necessary for the restoration of spiritual health and strength. It's the way in which we get better as we confess our sins. But what explicitly should be confessed? The text is not explicit at all. It just simply says, confess your sins. But I would say to you these three things. First, certainly... Sins that are public in nature and affect the entire body need to be confessed to others. Okay, so those sins that are public in nature and directly affects and influences the peace, the unity, and the life of the church, the testimony of the church, those sins need to be confessed to one another. Then secondly, sins that are directly affect other people. Sins that have brought strife or discord or disharmony or hurt or anguish between brothers and sisters in Christ need to be confessed to each other. And there is really the reciprocal aspect where we are asking each other for forgiveness for the wrongdoing that we have done. And beyond that, Confessing sins to one another is a means by which we are making our prayer request known. That desire to be delivered from our sin. It is good to acknowledge the areas of temptation that we often succumb to. It's good to share with other people what our particular struggles are. What our shortcomings are. Are. Where we need God's help, where we need God's strength, where we need God's deliverance. We should confess to one another and ask for their prayer for us. So what should our response be to one who confesses their sin to us? Well, what it should not be is gossip. We should not gossip about People who confess their sins to us. Secondly, we should not condemn those that confess their sin to us. Oh, how could you? Uh, can't imagine that you would do such a thing. Uh, We are not to condemn, but rather we are to pray for them. And we should pray for them without passing that news on to someone else. Uh, We shouldn't then make that a matter of prayer request for others. Uh, It is up to the individual to disclose their own sin. They are to confess their sin. Ours is simply to privately pray for one another. To pray for one another. Obviously, for that to take place, it means that we need to... Carefully think about who we are going to share our sins, our needs with. Who are the people that we are going to let in on the innermost recesses of our hearts and minds? We find in this passage it needs to be a person who's righteous, a person who's going to respond in the right way, namely to pray as opposed to gossip, as opposed to condemn. We need to find spiritually mature individuals that are going to be a help to us as they pray. Now, we are in the process. We are going to make some changes to our prayer meeting. In fact, it's going to start the first Wednesday night in September. We have greatly appreciated uh, the men who have been preparing messages for our Wednesday night services. They have done extremely well and that time has been very beneficial, very helpful. So we want to say thank you to all the men who have been rotating through and been teaching these numbers of years on our Wednesday nights. However, we decided that for an indefinite period of time uh, we want to focus uh, less on the teaching and more on praying, that we would spend more time uh, thinking about and actually engaged in prayer. So we are going to begin by having uh, just the first ten minutes of which I'm going to share some prayer requests and some ideas of which we can pray about. Then we're going to divide up into four larger groups. We'll say more about that at prayer meeting. I'm not going to get into that uh, now. Uh, and we'll divide up into four larger groups. And then, after we divide it up into four larger groups, then we're going to divide into much smaller groups, as we always have twos or threes, at, et cetera. But the goal of this is, especially when we get into these smaller groups, is that we have time. Time not just to pray, but to talk with each other, to find out what's going on in each other's lives. Uh, Develop a more intimate friendship, uh, a more intimate care, concern, so that we feel comfortable in sharing not just those things that are easy to share, but those things that are difficult to share. That that we develop a relationship with each other, that we, we trust each other with a vulnerability. That we know that this person isn't going to use this against me. This person isn't going to condemn me. This person isn't going to find fault with me. This person isn't going to gossip about me. This person's going to pray for me. This person is going to take that need before Almighty God and remember and seek my well being and my goodness. That's what this, this passage is talking about. In confessing our sins. For I did not want to separate it from the next statement, for they go hand in hand. Notice in verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. That is the proper response. We are to pray for one another. And the goal is that we be healed. Notice verse 16, that you may be healed. Prayer is seen to be the agent by which healing is achieved. Earlier in the passage, it's talking about sin. And the assumption is that sometimes sin can produce a situation in in our lives in which we need physical healing. Now, the Bible does not teach by any means that all sin is the result of personal, individual sin. In fact, it teaches the exact opposite. Jesus was asked by the disciples when they saw a man that was born blind. They asked him this question in John chapter 9, verse 1 As he, that is Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. This was not anything that was a product of what this man did. It is not anything that a product of what his parents did. But it was in accordance with the, the sovereign purpose and will of God, that this man was born blind. There are many, many different reasons that people are ill. But one of those reasons is sometimes it is because of individuals' sins. And they can ask for forgiveness and be healed. However, the word here is much broader than simple physical healing. The very essence of sin is that it is damaging. Sin is damaging. It is damaging to our bodies, but is also damaging to our relationships. Sin is damaging to our relationship with God. 1 John 1.6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If while we are committing sin, we say that we are in a right relationship with God and we are in fellowship with God, the Scripture says you're a liar. That is... Is not true. Sin brings a distance between ourselves and God. That doesn't mean we lose our salvation. Rather, it's like uh, a child in a relationship to their parent. Uh, I remember when I was a young boy, uh, I would do things that would irritate my father. And one of the things that I would do that would irritate my father is that I would go out and throw a baseball against the side of our house. Now, we lived in an old uh, brick farmhouse. It had just been recently painted, but uh, the bricks were old and would crumble and stuff. And I would go out there, and I would throw a baseball against the side of the house because I was going to be the next great pitcher uh, you know, in the World Series. And so I'd be out there uh, throwing the ball, and my father would say, don't throw the ball against the house. If he told me that once, he told me that 50 times. Don't throw the ball against the house. And then he said, don't throw the ball against the side of the house because you're going to throw the ball through a window. Wow, there's about 12 feet distance between these two windows. I mean, How in the world am I ever going to throw a ball through a window? If I can't keep a ball within 12 feet, I'm not going to be the next World Series you know, baseball player. So you know, I knew that wasn't going to happen. Well, one day, my, my father just lost it, and he said to me, I don't ever want to see you throw a ball against the side of this house again. Notice the operative words. I don't want to see you throw the ball against the side of the house. I listened carefully, okay? And uh, so... Uh, One day, my my father was away, and as he was away, I was out and got my baseball ball and got my glove, and I'm out there throwing the ball against the side of the house. I don't know how in the world I did it. I threw the ball through a window. Just like he said I would. Well, I knew that I was in trouble. Uh, I wasn't looking forward to when my father got home. And um, I put my ball and glove away and I quickly went out to the barn and started doing work. <laughs> so that when he found me, at least I was working, okay? And uh, we had this old uh, bridge. We had a creek that uh, ran uh, through the driveway and I heard the, the rumble of the boards of the bridge and I knew my father was home. I was dreading seeing my father. Because... I knew that I had done wrong. I wasn't looking forward. I wasn't afraid. He wasn't going to say to me, you're done, you're out of this house. I knew he wasn't going to disown me. Okay? I knew that I would live. Uh, I knew that he wasn't going to kill me. But I wasn't looking forward because I know that I displeased him. Sin separates us. Sin brings a distance. In relationships. It distances us from God. And it distances us from each other. The people that we have sinned against. It brings a barrier. We don't feel comfortable around each other. Maybe we've said some harsh words to each other. And we feel awkward. Confession brings healing. Healing. It brings restoration. Therefore, we are to pray for one another that healing takes place. Not just physical healing, but also spiritual and emotional healing. Jesus uses this word, and and notice these three different references. First, in Matthew 13, 15. Just listen. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. The healing them is of this apathy. They have closed their eyes. They have shut their ears. They refuse to hear the word of God. That can happen. We can grow apathetic. We can grow indifferent to the scriptures. We can get to the place in our lives where we don't really want to hear What the word of God has to say. We have dull hearing. Closed eyes. We need to be healed spiritually. Acts 10 verse 38. Now God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. There is oppression. There is the evil one. Who is at work in trying to undermine the people of God? Tonight we're going to look at that more closely as we look at the issue with Simon Peter and the evil one desiring to have him to sift him as wheat. We're going to look at that passage in rather detail this evening. But the evil one wants to destroy our relationships. But Jesus can heal us. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds who have been healed. Same word. But now it's talking about this need that we have of dying to sin and living to righteousness. This corrupt spirit that we have. This fallen nature that we have. We need to be spiritually healed. And... Jesus Christ died so that we would live unto righteousness, that we would be a different kind of people. That is included in this element of confess your sins and pray for one another so that you'd be healed, so that you'd be delivered. So if we struggle with pornography, so if we struggle with lust, if we struggle with lying, if we struggle with any particular sin, that God would give us the ability to overcome, to say no, and resist that sin. And so we are praying for one another in these struggles of everyday life, asking God to deliver us through his power and the Holy Spirit. Number three, prayer plays a key role in the restorative process. Notice the end of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. King James, the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. Prayer works. Prayer is powerful. ESV has great power at its working. The effective agent of deliverance is prayer. Prayer is restorative. Note, too, that prayer offered by one or two or three is powerful. For notice in verse 16 it says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power. I'm not particularly against prayer chains. I'm not particularly for prayer chains. I say that because I think there is sometimes a subtle misunderstanding. And that is that if prayer is really going to be powerful, you need to get a whole bunch of people praying. And the more people you have praying, the more powerful the prayer is. So if you can get 100 people, well, that's a pretty powerful prayer. But if you can get 1,000 people praying, wow, now you have a powerful prayer. But this passage is teaching us the effectual, fervent prayer of a single person. A single person can accomplish much. And then it gives us the example of just one person, Elijah. One person, Elijah, who is praying and brings about a transformation of an entire nation. The whole people of God are changed through the prayer of one single person. Let's not get caught up in how many people are praying, but rather let us get caught up in the idea that just one person that is sincerely praying for another person can accomplish great things. For prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. It says that the effectual proven prayer of a righteous person avails much. Now, you can get caught up on that word righteous and see that as an exception to the rule, okay? <clears throat> as the fine print, if you will, the legalese. I just used some legalese in relationship to my father when he said, I don't want to see you throw another ball against the side of the house. Okay, keyword was see. As long as you didn't see me, that's all right. Okay. So now the key word is righteous. The effectual prayer of a righteous person avails much. But who am I? I'm not righteous. Who's righteous? Therefore, now we're back to needing a thousand people praying and so on because nobody's righteous. That's not what is meant. In fact, just the opposite. If you notice, James 5.17... It says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Meaning that Elijah was no different than we are. Or put it conversely, we are no different than Elijah. Elijah was not heard because he was more righteous than we. Elijah was heard because he was righteous in that he prayed. He prayed. Here in this context, righteousness is simply praying. That is the right response to sin. That is the right response to a person who confesses to us. The wrong response is to gossip. The right response is to pray. And the person who does that can have confidence that they are going to be heard by God. Notice the example it gives us of Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. No different. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Verse 18. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain. And the earth brought forth its fruit. That's all it says. But now if you know the story of Elijah, there's a few details I'd like to throw in here just so that we don't get the wrong impression. In 1 Kings, you don't need to turn there. 1 Kings 17.1 says this. Now Elijah the Tishbite of uh, Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord the God of Israel lives before whom I stand. There shall not be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. 1 Kings 18.1, After many days the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. Ahab was told by God to pray. He was told by God to pray that it would not rain. And then later God said to Ahab, uh, excuse me, Elijah was told by God to pray that it would not rain. And then Elijah was told by God to pray and it will rain. He was not just coming up with this himself, but he was following the direction of God. The confidence that we have that God will hear us is when we pray according to his will, when we pray what he's told us to pray. Not that we can pray anything, but, we, but when we pray according to what he has told us to do, we can have confidence that he's going to do that. And one of the things that he has told us to do is confess our sins, and if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We can always pray for God to forgive us. And we can pray for others, that God would forgive them. And God will hear, and God will answer that prayer. The uh, scripture uses the word fervent. The effectual fervent prayer uh, accomplishes much. King James. Uh, ESV. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. What is meant by this word fervent? What is a fervent prayer? Well, I would submit to you that a fervent prayer is a word, is a prayer that is offered in faith that is in anticipation that God will keep his word. Fervent prayer is a prayer that is offered in faith that is in anticipation that God will keep his word. God will do what he says he will do. In the context of Elijah, God had said to Elijah, "Pray, and I will send rain." Elijah prayed. Now listen to this: starting at First Kings eighteen forty-one. And Elijah said to Ahab, "Go up, eat and drink, for there is a the sound of the rushing of rain." So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the town top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said again, seven times, go up. And at the seventh time he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he said, go up to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. God had said to Elijah, It's going to rain when you pray. Elijah prays. He says to his servant, Go up. Do you see the rain coming? The servant says no. Elijah prays. He says, Go up. Do you see the rain coming? No. Elijah prays and he says, Go up. Do you see the rain coming? He says no. He prays. He says, Go up. Do you see the rain coming? He says no. He prays. He says, Go up. Do you see the rain coming? He says no. He prays. He says, Go up. Do you see the rain coming? He says no. He He prays. He says, go up. Do you see the rain coming? He says, I see a cloud. I see a cloud. Elijah says, the rain's coming. Fervent prayer is prayer that believes that God will answer the prayers that he commands us to pray. Prayer, fervent prayer is prayer that's offered repeatedly. Prayer that's offered repeatedly. That we don't give up. That we don't stop praying. But we anticipate that God will indeed honor his word. When we are praying what he has told us to pray, then we can expect that God will work. Because prayer is powerful. So, in conclusion... Let us be a people that prays for each other. Let us spend time praying for each other. Let us develop in our relationships. We've been talking about encouraging one another. We've been talking about helping one another. We've been talking about loving one another. We've been trying to move to a climax. Last week, the climax was that we are to... Look at the way I treat other people is the way I treat Christ. Here the greatest climax is in our relationship to one another is that we are so close, so intimate with each other that we will trust each other. The greatest compliment you can give to another person is to trust them. To trust them. Let us be a people that demonstrate through the way in which we relate to one another that people can trust us. People can tell us things. I'm often amazed when people come to me and share certain things with me. And I'll often say to them, thank you for trusting me. Thank you for trusting me. This won't go any further. Just between you and me, and I will pray for you. That's the confidence that we need to have in each other. Trust each other. We have to prove ourselves worthy of that trust. So I hope that we will get to know each other and get to know each other well. And we'll learn to respect, respect each other. Appreciate each other. Trust each other. That the things that I say are not going to be used against me. But rather, this person is going to really want the best for me. They're going to pray for me. They're going to intercede for me. They, they are going to ask for God's grace from me. So may we develop an intimate, personal relationship with one another. I invite you to prayer meeting, and I I trust that we can foster that kind of relationship. We're not going to push you into something. You're not going to have to bury your soul. But I, I trust that we can create an atmosphere that people will really get to know each other and really feel comfortable in saying, this person cares about me. And my family, my marriage, my kids, our problems. And I know they'll pray for me. And I, and I want that prayer. And I will feel comfortable taking that person alone and saying, this is what's going on in my life. And I really need prayer. Will you pray for me? May God grant us that kind of relationship And may we have the trust and confidence to believe that when we offer those prayers, that God will hear. God will answer. For the prayer of just one person can change a nation. Elijah prayed. And repentance, healing, came to the nation of Israel. And it's interesting in the passage that the healing is the sending of the rain. The sending of the rain. You see, that healing is much more than just physical. That can be emotional, spiritual, relationships, and it can be physical as well. But may God heal us from our sins. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us to be a people that pray for one another. Give us friendships. Give us godly brothers and sisters in Christ that we can develop an intimate relationship with. People that we know are mature and are going to be able to handle what we tell them without gossiping, without condemning, without holding it over us in some negative way, that would never use what we divulge to them to harm us or hurt us, but only to help us and to pray for us. Oh, Lord, grant us people like that in our lives. Help us to be those people in other people's lives. Help us, Lord, to be ready to hear what people have to tell us. May we be ready to explain God's forgiveness to them. May we be ready to extend that forgiveness. Lord, may we be willing to mend the bridges, heal relationships, carry difficult temptations and struggles before the throne of grace. Oh, Lord, help us to be a praying people for others. And may people pray for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shall we open our hymnals to number 438 in response to Pastor's message this morning on prayer?